Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. The argument about whether or not Donald Trump should be impeached is in some ways a very complex one. And in other ways, it's a very simple one. And for example, there are multiple news outlets and whatnot saying, you know, Instead of impeaching him, let's just have a censure resolution. Well, an impeachment investigation, which suddenly turns the House into a courtroom, essentially, and gives the House Judiciary Committee access to things that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, can end up voting to censure rather than to impeach. I mean, it's not an all or nothing, and you don't have to go to the Senate. But you do have to start. Right? You have to start somewhere. For example, Thor Hogan in the Washington Post. He's saying censure, not impeachment, is the proper way to deal with the president's misdeed because it'll pass either house by a simple majority. It doesn't need the two-thirds in the Senate that impeachment does to remove a president from office. But frankly, if you look at the history of the Nixon impeachment, the approval of Nixon and his job started to collapse in May of 73. It was in July, well, it was in August, August 8th, that Nixon resigned. So it took about three months. And during those three months, support for removing him from office went from 19%, which is where it was in May, during the Watergate hearings, all the way up to 57% on the day that he resigned. So the key to the whole thing is not whether you can win in the Senate or the House. It's whether more than 50% of Americans want Trump removed from office. And frankly, I think that the thing that will cause that to happen, the thing that will wake people up to that, is laying out his crimes. I mean, just laying out what this guy has done. Both the House Judiciary Committee, the House Oversight Committee have subpoenaed Trump's financial records. In one case, his tax returns. In another case, his actual business records, his finance records from his accountant firm, which had said, we'd be glad to give them to you. Just give us a friendly subpoena. Congress did. And now Trump's lawyers are suing, saying, oh, no, you don't. And the argument that they're making is that, yeah, Trump may have committed a crime as a public citizen before he became president. But that's not relevant to what you're looking into. You're looking into whether he committed crimes as president, and therefore you shouldn't have access to his financial records. Do you get how weird this is? 
I mean, it's it's like it's beyond weird. It's it's like a, a, a massive dislocation of our priorities. And then you get Rudy Giuliani going on TV over the weekend saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with taking intelligence from a foreign government and using that in a political campaign. Well, maybe not, but maybe there should be. I think, though, that, you know, the federal law prohibits foreigners from providing anything of value to a campaign in the United States. And I don't know how you could argue, although Bill Barr is arguing this. Yeah, and the Mueller report was kind of ambiguous about it. How you can argue that stealing Hillary and John Podesta's emails and then releasing them strategically on days when the campaign needed them to be released, how that is not a thing of value. How is that not a thing of value? I mean, you know, if, if the Koch brothers buy a million dollars worth of ads for you, well, frankly, I'd say that's a thing of value, too, and a contribution to the campaign. But we've got these uh, super PACs and all that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, Rachel Maddow told the story, on, I believe it was on Friday, about how Adelaide Stevenson in 1960, who was thinking of running for president, Russia offered to help him win the White House in 1960, and they held a meeting with him to offer Moscow's assistance. Stevenson said no. He left the meeting. He went home. He documented every detail he could remember. And then he went to the authorities. Eight years later, the Soviet Union offered the same thing to Hubert Humphrey. And he said no. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> we have a history here. This tipping point, this is a really important thing. You know, I said this several times last week, but I'll repeat it again. When Bill Clinton was impeached, when the House decided to look into the crimes of Bill Clinton, they didn't find any crimes, right? They tried to say that he was involved in a corrupt land deal 35 years earlier. Turned out he was just a victim of it. They tried to say that his wife was a bad lawyer. Turned out she was a great lawyer. They tried to say it was illegal for Hillary Clinton to have fired somebody in the travel office. Turned out it was perfectly fine. It was a normal part of business in the White House. This was just more faux outrage you know, from the Republicans. And every single one of these things were part of, you know, essentially what became an impeachment inquiry. And then finally they discovered that, you know, he'd had sex with Monica Lewinsky. And it turns out he hadn't actually had what, you know, is generally regarded as sex, that is, you know, intercourse. He, he did not have that with Monica Lewinsky, which is why Bill Clinton thought he could lie and say, no, I didn't have sex with that woman. They never actually completed the act, as it were. But the point is that what we learned had nothing to do with actual crimes. You could argue it's a moral crime. Most of the laws about having affairs have been taken off the books and, you know, had been taken off the books long ago, in the 70s and 80s. It was not against the law. What was against the law that Clinton did was he lied about it. But I don't think the average American, in fact, we know the average American didn't think that that was an impeachable offense. About half of all married people, men and women, have had affairs. Americans look at this and go, really? This is your crime? But if the House starts looking into the crimes of Donald Trump, you've got this exhaustive New York Times examination of, you know, Donald Trump who said he borrowed a million dollars from his dad and had to pay it back. No, it turns out that, you know, every year he was getting a million dollars from the time he was born. He was a multimillionaire by the time he was six or seven. I mean, Donald Trump 
took over $400 million from his dad. And much of it he took from his dad's estate after he died in ways that were illegal. His sister resigned a lifetime federal appointment on the federal bench to avoid being investigated for this. Trump doesn't want to be investigated for this. The New York Times laid it out. And that's just one of his many crimes, his money laundering on behalf of oligarchs all around the world, the emoluments violations, the campaign finance crime. I mean, this in and of itself would have taken down any other president if any man had gotten elected, had paid over $100,000 to cover up having had a year-long affair with the Playboy Bunny and a one-night stand with a porn star and then became president. I think most Americans would say, you know, that in and of itself, if you pay to hide that, that's a campaign finance crime. And there's no doubt about this, by the way. That's what Michael Cohen is going to prison for. And the indictment against Michael Cohen says that he did it because he was directed to do it by individual one, a.k.a. Donald Trump. I don't think the average Fox News viewer knows this. The challenge that we have is that only about 8 million Americans regularly get their news from cable news. Whether it's Fox, probably 2 or 3 million Americans, or whether it's CNN or MSNBC, another 5 or 6 million Americans. That's about it. Then you've got probably another 10 or 15 million Americans who get a good chunk of their news, or at least their political opinions, from right-wing hate radio. So you've got a total of 20 or 30 million Americans. That's kind of the primary electorate in the Republican Party. And arguably the Democratic Party as well. The people who are actually paying attention. But most Americans aren't paying attention. Most Americans are, you know, maybe getting their news from a half hour news show in the evening on the big networks or even the local news. Or they're getting it from reading their newspaper or they're getting it from Facebook or whatever. But they just really don't know what's going on. They're not well informed. An impeachment hearing that is actually looking into these crimes where people are testifying and that testimony is going viral. It's going live. It's out there. An impeachment hearing would educate the American public, which is exactly what happened during the Watergate hearings. In a three-month period, in 1974, we went in a three-month period from 19% of Americans saying that Nixon should be removed from office to 57% of Americans. Why? Because of the show on TV. Trump is saying, hey, I'd welcome it. I'd love it. Yeah, just like he said he really wanted to talk to Mueller. This is the thing that, in my opinion, actually terrifies the Republicans. And the Democrats seem to be terrified about it, too. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm telling you, you know, don't make the mistake that they made with Clinton. Don't try to impeach him for something that isn't obviously a crime to everybody in the country. Don't try to impeach him around a technicality about, well, he lied about having sex with her because he meant real sex. And what, you know, actually happened was sort of half sex. I mean, really? So let's have an actual hearing. What do you think Congress should be doing? Censure? Impeachment? Nothing at all? All of it? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Harbin here. You know, we've been talking on this program for years now about the benefits of CBD. And I just in the last few months discovered New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. It is the premium, organic, highly concentrated 
pure CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's n-u-leafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Tom Harmon here with you. Uh, we've been discussing should impeachment happen? How should it happen? If so, should censure be the alternative? You know, all the various ways that Democrats basically can deal with a criminal president, with the actual criminal in the White House. Something on the order of what we saw back in 1974 with Richard Nixon. And arguably worse. And a lot of this, a lot of Trump's behavior seems to be driven out of some sort of deep underlying psychopathology. And to that, one of the world's leading experts, and in my opinion, the world's leading expert on this topic, is Dr. Justin Frank, MD. He is a psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He's the author of Trump on the Couch. Previously, he wrote Obama on the Couch and Bush on the Couch. Bush on the Couch was particularly eye-opening for me. That was a remarkable book. Obama on the Couch was fascinating. His Twitter handle is uh, Justin Frank MD. Dr. Frank, welcome back to the program. Hi, thank you very much, Tom. So you talk about how when Donald Trump was 13 years old, his father found a cache of switchblades, and Donald was engaging in some very, very problematic behavior. How does this incident from his life inform us about the kind of president he has been so far and the kind of president he might be if he really gets pushed you know, for example, Russia really threatens us or North Korea or China or, you know, somebody who actually has the power to follow through. I think that the main push that he's been afraid of is been Mueller more than Russia or China. We probably are more afraid of Russia and China, of course. But actually, it's really striking. His father told him that he was never allowed to go to Manhattan when he was about 10. And he would sneak in there a lot with a friend of his. And they saw West Side Story on Broadway and got fascinated by switchblades. And they started buying them and hiding them. He had a nine-inch knife. He had a couple of really huge knives. And his father finally discovered them and sent him off to military school immediately. He felt that he could not cope with Donald. Donald has a delinquent mind. He has, hates regulations. He hates being told what to do, and he's gone out of his way to live a secret life where he can do whatever he wants, devoid of rules. The only person who really understood him was his own father, who was also basically a criminal and a racist, but he did understand his son, Donnie. Yeah. Now, his grandfather made his money in the original Trump fortune running whorehouses on the West Coast, if that word yeah. is something that you can use on the air. I think I, I'm not sure what else you would call them. Um, he did run whorehouses, and he bought a lot of land, 
but he ran whorehouses, made a lot of money up in uh, the Yukon, actually, in the West, and up in Washington State. And then his son, uh, who was born in 1905, by the time the son was about 12, that's Don's father, his father had died. And he sort of took over everything at a very young age with the mother, the mother's help. And he built a fortune and made a tremendous amount of money after World War II, where there were lots of GI bills and amazing government support for returning veterans. And he just built that, took all kinds of money out of the government. Right, this is Fred uh, Trump. Right. This is Fred Trump, his father. And took all kinds of money out of the government, built all these buildings, wouldn't rent to African Americans, was very viciously anti Semitic, and actually lied about where he was born. He was born in Germany, and he had changed his name from a German name so he could rent to Jews at least, because there were a lot of Jews in Queens. The so, point about Donald, that he is comes he's really like the son of a mob family and unconsciously he wants to break things he wants to do things secretly and avoid any kind of rules and the only person he felt really got him was he felt in his fantasy life was his father and then Mueller who instead of throwing him out of the house in Queens was going to throw him out of the White House and I think he was terrified he is so relieved that Mueller did not say, indict, indict, throw out. And because of that, I think he feels that he's gotten a blank check to continue to do whatever he's doing. He is not a person who's interested really in anything. He doesn't even do anything to help himself in the polls, like do a few of the promises, like fixing infrastructure or doing certain things. He actually doesn't because he doesn't care about those things. He's not interested in polls particularly. He's interested in, obviously, in money and getting away with things and in breaking things. And he has been devoted to doing that ever since he was a kid. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It's, well, you, at one point you said he belongs in a structured mental health facility, not the Oval Office. Yeah. Is that not hyperbole? No. Seriously? He belongs, seriously. He belo- well, as president, the only way to get through to him would be in a structured mental health setting. There are other people who are CEOs and also common criminals who have a similar psychology to Donald Trump, and they often get away with things, and then they're caught by the law. Donald has a brilliant group of lawyers. He's always escaped the law, but his goal is to demolish things, and he pretends to be a builder. He wants to prove that he's a builder, but actually he's a breaker. And as we have discovered, uh, even in the last two years, that it's easier to break things, including institutions, than it is to build them. Which do you think he's? Do you think he's trying to break the United States? Yes, I think he's trying to break the United States. One thing I think he's really trying to do unconsciously is to get the word "united" out of the United States. He is constantly trying to set one group against another. He's trying to, you know, we talk about it as being divisive and division. One of the congresswomen, the new ones, I forgot her name, Tlaib, said that the word she would use is disconnect. He disconnects things. He disconnects thoughts and feelings. He disconnects, she doesn't talk like a psychoanalyst, but she's talking about disconnecting us from ourselves, from each other. He disconnects people. He breaks the normal connections. So it's very hard to follow him. He floods us with tweets. 
He makes it very difficult for people to think and respond, and he is relentlessly brilliant at that. But he's disconnecting thought. He's attacking our capacity to think. Wow. And I think that's a very hard thing. So what's because we have to sit back and think, but when everybody's busy checking his lies and checking out whether he's telling the truth and all the different things he's doing, we're like chasing after a comet. Yeah, Doonesbury this weekend was Donald Trump is about to tell his ten thousandth lie. What will it be? You know, and, and right. uh, it, it was, and it's true. I mean, it's, it's it's so strange. But the fact of the matter is that nobody's going to put him in a structured mental health facility, and he no. is in the White House. So, what, in your opinion, is the way that the Democrats should deal with you know this essentially dangerous to, man in the White House? Yes, they have to begin impeachment hearings immediately. Even if the impeachment hearings fail, which they might, you know, he might not be convicted, they have to be started immediately. Because? Have to, because it has to be brought to the public even more so how dangerous he is. He has to be stopped. And there's no way I can think of to stop him. You said something before I came on about censuring. Yeah. Censuring doesn't really stop a person either. I guess you can, I don't know what, how you could censure a president. And clearly, they okay. just announced in England, the Observer just wrote that they don't want him to come and see the Queen. They just feel that it's criminal. They don't want a criminal president. Right. Yeah, well, an act of censure would be basically Congress saying to the American people, we repudiate these behaviors, and it would be a, a way of identifying those specific behaviors. The advantage of a censure resolution is that it can be passed by either house. It doesn't require both. And it only requires a majority vote because there's no there's no consequence to it technically. But the big consequence is the publicity associated with it. Yes, and the enumeration of why they're censuring him. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, whether they end up impeaching or whether they just look at the political landscape and say, okay, there's still not 50% plus support for impeachment, which is the threshold that Nixon passed in the week before he resigned. Right. If they can't hit that 50% public opinion, then at that point, they just abandon impeachment and go for a censure. But at least they got it on the books. Does that make sense? Yes. I think censuring makes so much sense. I never thought about that as a possibility because I don't know enough about the political side. As a medical person, I wanted him quarantined. Yeah. He really needs to be isolated from any capacity to make major decisions. And I don't know how you do that. But censuring would be a, a step in that direction. And then I do think they need to start impeachment proceedings. One of the things that the father of psychoanalysis said, Roy, Oh, you're going off here? Yeah, but you got 10 seconds here. Okay, thought is, a, is, is trial action, and it's time to act. Amen. Okay. It's a bad thought, but it's time to act. There you go. Dr. Justin Frank, the author of Trump on the Couch, a clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And if you want to tweet at Dr. Frank, his Twitter handle is JustinFrankMD. So would you like to watch the Tom Hartman Program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. And you become a supporter of the program through Patreon. You have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Harbin. Thank you. Here's
here's the point, I suppose. We have to figure out a way to cut through the media, to grab the attention of the media. This is what Donald Trump is a master at. He plays reality TV, right? You know, every day there's a new narrative that he can dump on the media. Every day there's a new outrageous statement. Every day it's like that. And his crimes are going to recede into the distant memory of Americans over the next two years. It's almost two years till the election. I mean, if things aren't challenged, if they're not taken care of, they just go away. And punching through, getting the media to pay attention can be a real challenge. I got an email this morning from an old friend of mine, Earl Katz. He was the uh, entertainment industry coordinator for Earth Day 2000 in Washington, D.C. Earl, in fact, made uh, Leo DiCaprio chairman of the entertainment committee. I mean, that's how we first met him. And, you know, he sent me a note this morning. He says, I was just watching Dennis Hayes being interviewed on Earth Day on C-SPAN. And here's what he said. Immediately before being cut off at 10.53 for coverage of the White House Easter egg hunt. Seriously, not making this up. This is what Dennis Hayes said, quote, the things we have to be most concerned about are tipping points, which once reached put things out of our control. For example, in the Arctic, there are methane hydrates. And then at that point, Donald Trump and his wife appeared on C-SPAN accompanied by the Easter Bunny for the White House Easter egg roll. Uh, Earl writes, what this means is self-evident. We are victims of inverted and perverted priorities. And yes, there is no Easter Bunny. I mean, Donald Trump does anything and the media goes right to it. This is if it bleeds, it leads. And this is what our media has become. And so basically, if you want to break through that, you've got to have something that is dramatic. And what's dramatic? The testimony of people saying, yes, that man committed a crime. Or yes, that man forced me to commit a crime. So I think this is a big deal. I think this is a, a, a really and truly big, big deal. I mean, there's a million things, right? You know, for example, there was this company that made baby strollers and kids were being injured, you know, over 100 injuries from the Britax Child Safety three-wheeled B.O.B. jogging strollers, right, between 2012 and 2018. So the Consumer Product Safety Commission said, pull them, withdraw them. They sued or they fought this until Trump came into office, figuring that the Trump administration would let, let them off the hook. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. GOP Commissioner Anne-Marie Burkle, basically they said, okay, you know, it's now that they've got a three to two Republican majority on the commission, the commission said, yeah, it's fine. Kids are in danger. You know, the climate change stuff that Earl was talking about, this, you know, obviously methane hydrates in the Arctic is a big deal. We should be talking about it more, but oh no, there's an Easter egg roll, right? Something's going on with Trump. I am strongly of the opinion that any conflation, anybody who argues that there are lessons to learn from the Clinton impeachment that apply to the Trump impeachment needs to be educated. They need, you know, they need to be informed. The lesson that we learned from the Clinton impeachment is don't try to impeach a president who hasn't actually committed impeachable crimes. And having an affair and lying about it is not an impeachable crime. But, you know, colluding with a foreign government to become president, being a criminal, these are impeachable crimes. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I would argue putting greed over babies, selling off public lands are impeachable crimes. Certainly obstruction of justice is an impeachable crime. Boy, what a day, right? Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? 
I think we should start by impeaching Barr for committing obstruction of justice in public, proceed with Trump. The few remarkable things about Trump and how he has degraded and defiled the whole political process, he has poisoned the well both literally and figuratively. It's the first presidential candidate I have ever heard who talked openly about refusing to accept the result if he lost the election. He is the first I have ever heard who talked about assassinating his opponent if she won the election. And in terms of poisoning the well in a literal sense, he has done everything he can to attack the Clean Water Act. And now he's saying that he has power above the law because he is not a federal agency. He is the president. That goes even farther than Louis XIV went with his uh, alleged uh, statement that he was the law, right. that he was the state. Right, and they, and they took his head off for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, back during Watergate, I walked in a, worked in a suburban uh, newspaper office, and the front half of, the, uh, of this little storefront was ad salesmen. And starting out, all but one of them were pro-Nixon. But by the time a few months of the Watergate uh, hearings had gone on, they were all very silent, and only the anti-Nixon guy would open his mouth. So I think the uh, salutary effect of having hearings on television, which you have cited, would be very helpful. Yeah. By I, the way, do you, do you remember Mr. Uh, Obama at the State of the Union talking about how Citizen United would open up our elections to foreign interference? And yeah, and Sam Alito said, yeah, no way, or yeah. something like that, and Sam Alito was wrong. Right. He was prescient. Yeah. Yeah, he, he absolutely was. Mike, thank you. Excellent points all. George in Freehold, New Jersey. Hey, George, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's up? Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Tom, I'd like your opinion on uh, something, and uh, uh, hopefully you can expand on it a little bit. You know, it took uh, the special prosecutor to do the job of the free press in taking on the straw arguments of Sarah Sanders. And I sit and I watch the press conferences, and I watch the president, and I listen to the straw man argument. And I, I just to so everybody understands what a straw man argument is. If I were to say, for example, someone who knows really, really well told me that Tom said that Nancy Pelosi has an IQ of 85 and never gets challenged. No one ever challenges to say, well, who told you that? more challenges to strongman arguments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's my whole point about having an impeachment inquiry is that it would be able to push through those things, to break through them. George, thank you for the call. Thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. 
Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Treason and Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of Individual One by Kenneth Ford McCallion. This is from the prologue. It was a gray, overcast day in Washington on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald J. Trump was sworn in as 45th President of the United States. The weather matched the mood of the majority of Americans who had voted for Hillary Clinton, but whose candidate was denied the election as a result of an anachronistic electoral college system a lackluster Clinton campaign that had ignored key battleground states such as Michigan and Wisconsin, and of course substantial help from the Russians. But the most significant assault on American democracy did not result from the illegal hacking and cyber attacks by Russian agents on our electoral system and social media. Rather, it came from Donald Trump's full-scale assault on American ideals and values, which had long been this country's most powerful weapon in its arsenal of democracy. In his grim inauguration speech, Trump basically announced the end of American exceptionalism, the hallowed concept and conviction that the United States has a special mission and place in history. Instead of extolling the virtues of our democracy and calling upon its citizens to raise the torch of liberty in every corner of this country and around the world, Trump took the cynical view that the United States was no better or worse than Russia or any other authoritarian country, and that all our government should be doing is to put America first by concentrating on building our country's economic wealth over all other considerations, and by not worrying about other concerns such as human rights or even democratic rights and freedoms around the world. Trump's denouncement of America's commitment to liberty and justice for all was a frontal attack on the guiding principles forming the bedrock of our democracy and America's faith in itself and in its transcendent mission. The Declaration of Independence had been a clarion call that resonated not only on this continent, but around the world, declaring that the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the cherished goal of all Americans and freedom-loving people the world over. Now, Trump was seeking to extinguish that fire by declaring that America was no longer the beacon of liberty and that every country, especially Russia, should be permitted to do whatever they wanted in their own country and its own sphere of influence. And that if they dismembered neighboring countries or slaughtered their own people who were fighting for greater civil and human rights, that this was of no importance to the United States. In other words, Trump was articulating precisely what Putin and others in the Kremlin wanted to hear which is that Trump would give them the green light to rebuild the Russian empire without fear of opposition or retaliation by the U.S. In doing so, Trump was demonstrating that he was a traitor to the traditional American democratic ideals. The enduring concept of American exceptionalism dates back to French writer Alexis de Tocqueville's reflections on America in his 1835 work, Democracy in America, where he concluded, quote, the position of the Americas is therefore quite exceptional and it may be believed that no democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one." End quote. Abraham Lincoln echoed this theme of American uniqueness when he noted in his Gettysburg Address in 1863 that one of the things that sets us apart from all of the countries in history is the sacred duty of the United States to ensure that the government of the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Since the end of the Civil War and up until January 20th, 2017, the idea of American exceptionalism has infused the rhetoric of virtually every modern president and political leader. 
In April 1917, near the end of the First World War, President Woodrow Wilson exhorted Americans to fulfill the country's destiny to make the world safe for democracy. In his State of the Union address in January 1941, when the future of liberal democracies in a world war against fascism hung in the balance, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent a message to its besieged Democratic allies around the world, reassuring them that, quote, we Americans are vitally concerned in your defense of freedom. We are putting forth our energies, our resources, and our organizing powers to give you the strength to regain and maintain a free world. This is our purpose and our pledge, end quote. Ronald Reagan inspired us with his soaring rhetoric about America being a shining city on the hill, a beacon for freedom, hope, and liberty that was and always will be the model and example for all the world. President Obama in April 2009 publicly acknowledged America's, quote, extraordinary role in leading the world toward peace and prosperity, end quote, while cautioning that such a lofty goal could only be achieved through effective partnerships with other countries. He also often reminded us that America is, at its core, a good and caring nation that must work tirelessly in the cause of democracy and human rights all around the world. With Trump, this powerful concept of American exceptionalism, which has been enshrined in our nation's psyche for almost 200 years, was declared to be dead and buried, or so Donald Trump and his enablers would like us to believe. In the immortal words of Stephen Colbert, Trump, in his easily forgettable inaugural speech, basically compared America to a dumpster fire. America's longstanding mission to preserve and protect the causes of democracy, freedom, and human rights around the world had, according to Trump, virtually devastated the country. Treason and Betrayal is the book. Jesse James tweets, wasn't Nixon's impeachment that turned the public against Nixon, but it was the Senate public hearings in the Watergate break-in. This is from Sean on Twitter. Censure is a coward's way out and ineffective in ensuring the rule of law exists. The House must impeach and Republicans in the Senate must then hold the president accountable. DJ Chi-Town, this is a hoot. He says, we need to create GOP accounts on Twitter and Facebook and create surveys like the Russian bots do. Uh, quote, if when Trump is impeached, who would you like to be our Republican nominee? Pence, Romney, Graham, Palin? Yeah, interesting stuff. Anyhow, Sue in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Sue, what's up? I just had a, a flash of a thought this morning. I voted in the 2000 election in South Florida, in Palm Beach County, and I'm still really angry that Al Gore did not get his presidency. So could we have the Democrats elect a placeholder and give the presidency to Al Gore and then put Hillary Clinton as his vice president? Well <laughs> thought, but what do you think? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, I'm sure that Al Gore and Hillary Clinton would not have anything to do with that. They're both uh, way beyond wanting to be, you know, elected officials. But right. you know, your point about the theft of the 2000 election is is one that the Democrats need to be hammering. You can, I, I can guarantee that if a Democrat had won the 1968 election by committing treason, as Richard yes. Nixon did with South Vietnam. It would be right. repeated every single day in every single Fox News report and on right-wing hate radio. If a Democrat had won the election in 1980 by cutting a deal on the side with the Ayatollah, we'll sell you spare right. parts for your American weaponry if you'll hold the hostages for another 100 days so that we can make Jimmy Carter look like a fool. If that had happened on the other side, again, the Republicans would be all over it. And again, in 2000, when the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and uh, the Washington Post and USA Today, when this media consortium, the Associated Press, finally, I mean, they brought 
literally trailer trucks of all the ballots in Florida, the entire state, up to New York, where they hired a whole team of people and it took them a year to count them. And in November of 2001, literally one year after the election, a year and two weeks after the election, they published the report saying that by any measure, by any standard, you know, overvote, undervote, intent of the voter, without the intent of the voter, hanging chads, pregnant chads, dimpled chads, by any standard, Al Gore won more votes than George Bush did, and therefore the Supreme Court by stopping the recount in Florida, which was ordered by the Florida Supreme Court and is required by the Florida Constitution, that the, that the U.S. Supreme Court, by stopping that count, gave the election to George W. Bush. And George Bush had sued based on that. He said, I will be irreparably harmed if this count is allowed to continue. Americans don't know this stuff because the media doesn't constantly repeat it. So, right. so, Sue, thank you for giving me a, an opportunity to do so. I appreciate the call. Thank you. And thanks for listening to us there in Albuquerque. Ron in Screven, Georgia. Am I saying that right, Ron? Is it a fact that if you lie to Congress, it's a federal crime? That's correct. And if so, why was it that Sessions lied to Congress several times and he was never charged with anything? Because Congress tends not to want to go after their own and because Congress by and large, has been controlled by Republicans up until the last you know, year and a half. And that's only the House of Representatives, by the way, that the, the Democrats control right now. And I believe that Sessions lied before the Senate, so the Senate would have to go after him. The Senate's been in Republican control ever since his lies. Yeah, I figured it was mostly that, but I was just curious if there was some other body that could come in and say, hey, look. The answer is yes. A federal prosecutor could bring those charges, but the agency that would have to do it would be the Department of Justice, which is the boss of all the federal prosecutors. And the guy who runs the Department of Justice right now is Bill Barr, who is a professional cover-up artist for Republican political criminals. So, you know, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ron, thanks for the call. Brian in Schaumburg, Illinois. Hey, Brian, what's up? Good morning. Uh, I wanted to discuss the bigger picture, and I think William Barr, as well as all the minions, I think their real mission is to save the Republican Party. I agree. Because because if Trump is exposed for what he really is, I mean, if we can get 10% of his base to really open their eyes and see who he really is and go against him, the entire Republican Party will be destroyed. Yeah. figuratively. Yeah. Uh, they will lose immense amounts of power. They'll lose the White House. Definitely will still not get the House. And then Senate. Well, this is what happened real- after Nixon resigned. The Republicans didn't control anything for a long, long time. Right. And they're at the zenith. I mean, their decades-long project to gain control of the government came to fruition, and then Donald Trump came along and stole it from them. Right. Now, Donald Trump is a wild man who's at the steering wheel of the Republican Party, and they have no choice but to back him no matter what he does, because if they don't, the base will leave him, enough of the base. I mean, there's 20% of crazy people that will never, ever leave him. But if they lose another 10% of their voters, they are screwed in the long run, and they will lose on all fronts, and that's what they are definitely afraid of. And I think what we really need to focus on is the propaganda campaign that's being waged, not just on Fox News. Any right-wing media outlet is just propaganda. And if we get into just daily fights about every little detail that happens every single day, people's eyes glaze over and they lose sight of the big picture. You know, I'm no propaganda expert, but we need to 
you know, somehow open people's eyes to who Donald Trump really is and what's really going on in this country. And, I mean, just a simple one I've thought of is just, you know, like Tom Steyer, he can make commercials just showing Trump lying. He can say, you know, here's 10 seconds of him saying one thing, here's 10 seconds saying completely opposite, and it could just go on and on and on and on and on. The problem you have, Brian, is that for the people who, for example, are opposed to abortion, as long as Trump keeps putting anti-abortion right-wing judges on the courts, they'll put up with anything. Because oh, they know. think this I, is like a Holocaust. This is a life and yeah, death I, issue. I've seen the videos of people saying that Donald Trump is Cyrus, you know, out of yeah. the Bible. You yeah. know, he's not a Christian, but God put him here just to help Jesus because Jesus wants him. I mean, just all this constant ridiculous. Yeah. There's body. a chunk of his base that really doesn't care what his behavior is. Billionaires don't care what his behavior is as long as he pushes through tax cuts. And the Republicans are actually talking about another tax cut next year. And the evangelicals and the hard right members of the anti-abortion group and some on the left who are opposed to abortion, you know, don't care what he does as long as he as he keeps putting these judges in place. But there are also larger issues. There's, you know, Elizabeth Warren this morning just rolled out a plan to eliminate student loan debt, eliminate it. Right. Uh, up to fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt would be just free to everybody in America who earns less than $100,000. And people who earn over $100,000, there's a sliding scale. So if you earn over $200,000 a year, you get a $40,000 reduction in your student loan debt. And you know, and it goes down and up from there. And then after that, all of the two and four year public colleges are free. And they're paid for by state and federal governments. And that's absolutely brilliant. And so we need to be talking about what we will do, what the Democrats will do at the same time that we're talking about what a criminal Trump is, essentially. Jeff in Englewood, Colorado. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Uh, good morning, Tom. I think there's kind of a little naivete about one of your your thoughts about that you mentioned earlier about Donald Trump being the one person who could get away with this. I disagree. I think that you have shown in many years and uh, many times that the Republicans, as long as there is somebody that is a Republican that wields their policies, they will stand behind them no matter what. Well, that was the point that I was making earlier, that you've got interest groups who are very, very happy with what Donald Trump is doing. Corporate America loves the fact that they can increase the level of pollution while increasing their profits and drill on public lands and all this kind of stuff. The CEOs love Donald Trump. You've got the evangelicals who love Donald Trump. You've got hardcore listeners of Fox News, the poor suckers, essentially, the Fox News and right-wing hate radio listeners who love Donald Trump. None of those things excuse me, in my opinion, are going to change very much. Yeah, I would put forth to you, though, if if it was Donald Trump or a a chimpanzee with a typewriter, they would still support that. Right, as long as they know that their agenda is being accomplished. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff, I agree with you. And in a way, that was the point that I was making earlier. So the question then becomes, the billionaires and the CEOs, that's less than 1% of the population, the hard-right evangelicals, maybe 20% of the population. But then everybody else who made Trump president, those are vulnerable votes. Those are people who could be awakened. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. In my humble opinion, and it's going to take some, you know, it's going to take some circus to do it, some hearings, some public hearings. Let's start.
Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I, I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom adjusted to fit you. That's why the X chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2 and 110 or 6'4 and 250. And now with the introduction of the X basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair's on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair xchairtom.com. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you on the line with us is Bob Nay. Let's check in with Talk Media News here and find out what's going on in the world. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. Bob is the author of Sideswipe, former congressman from Ohio. Bob, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. What, in your mind, are the top stories of the day? Well, two stories on Iran, in my mind. I mean, there's a lot of stories, of course, what the two chairmen said on the Sunday talk shows, you know, about impeachment, uh, uh, Chairman Schiff and Nadler. And then also the president has filed a suit to stop his taxes from being revealed. But I think the top story of the day are two stories dealing with Iran, both Mm -hmm. of them. And the first one was from a week ago, Monday, in which it got revealed today that Secretary of State uh, Pompeo met with 15 prominent Iranian-American community leaders, and he met with them in Texas. And that is a fascinating... Now, this is not a new story. This is something that's been verified by three people. And, in fact, one of the persons, their name was used, and they were an uh, an attorney, Iranian-American attorney. So we know this is verifiable information. It was a private meeting. Hmm. But in the meeting several things. One, Pompeo said uh, that he was not, they were not going to use, uh, at least at this point in time, military intervention in Iran. And the community leaders who are Iranian-Americans who care, obviously, about, you know, their original homeland and their families and things back there, they asked about how he could guarantee that the sanctions that were upcoming and the ones that were implemented would not hurt the Iranian people. And he actually answered to them, he can't guarantee that. And, of course, he can't. The sanctions are already devastating the Iranian people. Their economy is falling through the floor. And, you know, pretty soon that's going to lead to basically rebellion in the streets, which is exactly what Pompeo and Trump want. The clerics will be able to say that, look, we did a deal with America and we did what they wanted and we dropped our nuclear ambition. And now the great Satan is starving you. They're going to turn it on Trump. Yeah, because that's they did exactly do that deal, do. and and, and Trump, and Trump walked away from it. He backed out of the Iran deal. Walked it back. Right. And then they're putting, for the sanctions, zero oil exporting. Now, this one's fascinating, and I do want to get to one other point, too, that I failed to mention that's really, really important. This one fascinated me. Pompeo, when asked about the MEK, the Mojahedin Kalk, which is a group that helped Saddam Hussein and actually helped Saddam against Iranians and and actually helped to gas Iranians. Of course, we supplied. Right. The, we used to call the these people terrorists. They that was recently exactly. changed. Exactly. 
that was recently changed. And the uh, the MEK uh, recently, I think it was maybe uh, two or three months ago, but John Bolton publicly spoke to them. And so, you know, there's been this fallacy out here that the MEK are so well-liked, Maryam Rajavi in France, and they aren't. They are loathed by most Iranian Americans and loathed by most Iranians, Iranians that, like us, they loathe them. In fact, the people in the private meeting with Secretary of State Pompeo, Tom, actually said to him, look, they are worse than the regime. And for those Iranian Americans in that meeting to actually tell Pompeo that, that the MEK is worse is, is really something in itself mm-hmm. you know, to make that type of statement. Now, this yeah. is what's interesting. He turned around and said, uh, I didn't speak to the MEK. President Trump didn't speak to the MEK. Bolton spoke to the MEK. So, you know, he, he basically, uh, you know, obviously recognized that they're not going to deal with them. But yet, you know, he, he couldn't hardly uh, say anything about how to defend Bolton on it. And Rudy Giuliani spoke to the MEK. And Rudy Giuliani was paid, of course, $100,000, uh, uh, even when they were a terrorist organization, which was against the law at that time. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was. And Bolton was paid a fee, too, at, at one point in time. So I'm thinking and trying to analyze this, that there is so much heat in regard to Bolton's dealings with the MEK. They are doing every single thing humanly possible not to salvage this for the Iranian people. Because, look, they're not a good regime. We all know that. But there are certain ways to combat a regime. And, you know, it was working with the people uh, pressing issues in Iran. And Pompeo says, well, there are no moderates in Iran. He says that. Right, which is not true. Uh, which is a false statement. And so, therefore, I think they are building every single aspect up. Now, this sanction that he announced today, which is total sanction against any country, which include India or China, any other country that buys Iranian oil, the spigots will be turned off in May. And guess who stepped up to the plate? There's some money on this one. There's some bling, cha-ching on this one, Tom. Guess who stepped up to the plate hmm. to fill in the gap for all the Iranian oil? Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Saudi Arabia stepped up to the plate. Oil stock went up today. This is a total manipulation. Saudi Arabia will now step in and get brand new markets, India, China, new markets, pump more oil, and will make billions upon billions or trillions of dollars Saudi Arabia will make off of this. So my other question is not only are these acts leading towards a war potential, where, you know, the president would be sitting in the middle of a war crisis, and, of course, you can't change people midstream, can you, with presidents during that's, war? That's conventional wisdom, say. yeah. Right. And then also, they're going to make the Saudi coffers fill beyond their wildest So Trump's buddies, the Saudis, make a trillion dollars. Uh, Trump's buddy Netanyahu gets the Iranian government taken down like he wants. We get into a war with Iran. Jeez, the, the, the Iranian allies in Yemen, the Iranian allies in Syria, the Iranian allies in Iraq now start turning on American troops. This turns into a major regional conflagration. Iran tries to attack Israel. Israel takes out Iran. Boom, we're in the middle of World War III, Bob. They are setting the stage with a match that is waiting to strike. Yeah. It's like two guys standing in a basement full of gasoline, each one holding a box of matches. It's crazy. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Good talking with you. Bob's book is Sideswiped, by the way. We'll be right back. Don in Berkeley, California. Hey, Don, what's up? How long does the impeachment process actually take? It depends. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, it, it can take a matter of a couple of months or it could drag out for a year or more. 
I think if it drags out, it's in trouble and it probably won't succeed. But basically the process is the Judiciary Committee convenes a hearing and they begin investigating you know, what's going on and compel witnesses and all that kind of stuff. When they get a sufficient body of evidence that they think they can actually lay out articles of impeachment, they propose those articles of impeachment. They go to the floor of the House of Representatives and the Speaker of the House you know, presumably sets a vote on them. If the House decides to vote for impeachment, that, all that is is an indictment. Um, in the case of Richard Nixon, there were four. As I, In fact, I think in the case of Nixon, there were and and Clinton, there were either four or five in both cases, specific you know, charges in that indictment. That's all an impeachment is, is an indictment. And then that goes to the Senate, where they actually hold a trial. And the president's lawyers can come forward and defend him, as they did in the case of Bill Clinton. And the, and the lawyers for the House of Representatives, you know, who are arguing the impeachment or the the, their surrogate in the Senate can present that side of the case. And then ultimately the Senate votes and it requires a two-thirds vote of the United States Senate. So it'll take as long as it needs to take, Don. Does it, uh, does it make sense to uh, slow walk this, perhaps start with Barr like you've uh, suggested, and then wait until like six months before the election, eight months before the election? I think any attempt to, to any attempt to strategize it with a an election calendar or politics in mind will probably backfire. The question needs to be, is Donald Trump guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, particularly in office? Is he a criminal? Is he a crook? Has he, has he broken the law in office? Has he set a bad example? Has he harmed our country? Is that something that is beyond dispute? And if they can establish that through a hearing in the House of Representatives, and the American people get that. And to some extent, that's going to depend on whether the media covers it and how the media covers it. But if the American public gets that so that the majority of Americans are in favor of impeachment, then I think the Senate, the, a lot of Republicans in the Senate are going to have a tough time with that. And, and a lot's going to also depend on whether it looks like Donald Trump's going to get reelected, because you've got Republican senators. Majority of the senators who are up for reelection next year are Republicans. The whole process is going to be a huge challenge. But I think that the, the key to it is going to be boiling down the indictments. And this is something that the House Committee, the Judiciary Committee, this is Jerry Nadler's work, right, that he's going to have to do. And then, you know, messaging that to the American people in a way that people go, yeah, you know, if, if the CEO of my company did that, I'd want the board of directors to remove him. You know, fill in the blank. If my senator did that, I'd want him impeached or removed from office. So that's where it goes. Don, thanks for the call. And thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to us in Berkeley. Tom Hartman here with you, and uh, Elizabeth in West Hollywood, California. Hey, Elizabeth, what's up? I didn't realize what you had said about the previous presidential candidate being approached by foreign governments to manipulate the election. Right, both Adelaide Stevenson and Hubert Humphrey. I never realized that until I heard it on your show. However, last night, 60 Minutes had a whole segment on how the Russians influenced the election, and they had a graph that was just stunning. Really? about their manipulation and interfering all over the world. Anybody who wants to see it can go online. They have it online. Is it over uh, at the CBS website? Yeah. Or, or on YouTube? Yeah, yeah okay. And, I'll, I'll look and for that other, tonight. Thank you for, uh, for the heads up, Elizabeth. Bar should be barred from the bar. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. He should be disbarred. Um, you know, yeah, running puns here, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And this is why I said I would begin by investigating Barr 
and Trump and Pence. And the area where I would look at Pence would be in particular during that transition period where he was working hand in glove with Manafort and Flynn at the same time that they were working with foreign powers. Yeah, so spot on. Elizabeth, thank you for the call. Paul in Snellville, Georgia. Hey, Paul, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was just going in reference to uh, the, the talk about impeaching Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy's this guy is disgusting. It should happen, but it's not. And I think we need to concentrate on making sure that we beat him in the 2020 election. That's the only way he's going. I think we can do both. And in fact, I think if an impeachment hearing, even whether it's a successful impeachment or not in the Senate, an impeachment hearing in the House will lay out his crimes in a way that will cause a lot of uh, certainly a lot of people in the middle to change and say, you know, we're not going to vote for this guy. If they can get that information, you're dealing with a bunch of lawless people. They're not going to just turn over that information to the Congress. You're absolutely right. They start impeachment. You're absolutely right. And and Mueller said one of the reasons that he couldn't draw final conclusions was because so much evidence was destroyed. So many people lied to him. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I get that. It's like we're dealing with a mob boss, but that doesn't mean that you don't try, in my opinion. Paul, thank you for sharing your your thoughts with us. Uh, Judy in Heldsburg, California. Hey, Judy, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi, Tom. I just want to say urgently that Trump should be impeached, Barr should be disbarred, and also I just want to share one thought with you, Tom, that I would like to see a miracle happen. And you know what this miracle would be? The one thing that the Republicans have going for them in their party is they stick together They're like glue. And I would like to see that in the Democratic Party. I would like to see these 20 contenders make a statement that would all the people that would like to see me become president get behind Joe Biden. Let's stick together and to see this next election as a national crisis. Yeah, I think it is a national crisis. I'm not sure getting behind Joe Biden. You know, they should get behind whoever is the nominee, ultimately. Joe Biden is going to throw his hat into the ring this week, and we'll see. You know, typically people who are way ahead of the pack, as Joe Biden is right now, two years out, don't end up being the nominee. But you never know. I mean, he was a pretty good vice president. So we'll see where this goes. Judy, thank you. Jim in Phoenix, Arizona. Jim, your last call of the day. What's up? Hi, Tom. I had originally wanted to talk about maybe this impeaching bar because I think it would drive Trump crazy and be relatively risk-free. But listening to all these calls, we'd really like to change my subject if I could. Okay, in in terms of impeaching Trump, how about dereliction of duty? The report says he will never do anything about Russia because acknowledging that Russia had a hand in it diminishes his... Right. um, The clause in Article 2 of the Constitution that says that the president shall faithfully oversee the execution of the laws of the United States, that he has failed at doing that, and that is a high crime and misdemeanor. And I think that you're right, Jim, and I think he was right, but, you know, it's not up to me. There's so many possibilities. We'll continue with this conversation and, uh, you know, following the news and uh, what's going on. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It needs you. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 